Okay, everybody, this is part 10 of a uh, diary of a property investor. Jim, you're going to continue through with your uh, property list today, which is going to be quite good. We're going to go into yeah. some interesting purchases and what you learned from that. You're also going to speak about, um, we finished off last week, you were saying about thinking that you had the Midas touch and maybe that wasn't always quite the case and how you've well, learned from some of your failures and things along the way. All right. See, before we came on, um, just so everybody is aware of this, <laughs> I tell you what, you just get different problems to solve. Um, because I was just talking to Richard the other now about the fact that she's trying to manage your money now. It's like, oh my God, it's like a full-time job. It's like the mortgage works sends things in saying, by the way, you're coming out of your variable rate, but you can switch it. And then you've got things like pension planning. You've also got stuff like, um, uh, one of the things actually, um, uh, uh, possibly retirement planning for me. Um, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe news to you in the beginning, <laughs> maybe for the third time, uh, retirement planning, but definitely about retirement planning and how tax efficient it is in terms of should I make a contribution from a company to my personal pension or should I actually take it out and then put it in from my, from my own uh, money and, and uh, you know, which is the most efficient way to do that um and how much can i do every single year is there a forty thousand limit i know there's something somewhere so these are all things to think about in terms of again wealth creation if anybody's yeah. out there it does, you don't need to be absolutely minted you just need to start planning towards the future and, and what i mean by that is actually taking into account things like personal pension contributions that you could make uh, don't rely on your company just to actually make contributions to your pension that's the most important thing here put additional contributions in yourself because you will get the tax back on it. And especially if you're a higher rate payer, you will get a substantial amount of tax reduction to bring you back down to the lower rate as well. So there's a huge advantage to actually doing that um, uh, in terms of your personal pension. Equally, though, when you take it out, eventually you're going to get nailed for it because it's taxable income when you start to draw it down. The first 25% of it, by the way, of your fund, you can take that out tax-free. But then after that, when you start drawing more down from that, um, uh, uh, you know, the rest is taxable under your normal mainstream income um, in, in conjunction to your own uh, state pension. Now, I've got a couple of years, apparently, according to the state pension, because I looked on Martin Money, uh, Martin Lewis's money, same next year. Yeah. So I looked that up the other day, and he actually had a thing before the end of the 31st of March. If you go on and just check with the government website, um, with the actual government, you've made enough national insurance contributions to get the full state pension when you retire um, and what that state pension will be. And you could work out if you need to do that. Now, what if you've not, if you've missed some of the years, I think it's about £850 you can contribute into that um, to, to buy that year back. So I've got a couple of years I've missed. But when I work it out, it's like it's only another £500 a year. It makes a difference. So should I spend £1,600 to get another £500 a year and answer that is probably absolutely yes, uh -huh. because when you think about it, another three years, and I'll have the fifteen hundred um, off my personal pension. But um, and I will live that long. I was waiting to say that's one of the things you've got to think about as well. When you get your personal pension, you're going to be about sixty-five or sixty-seven year old. So then, are you, are you actually going to live to that age? So is it really worth putting the eight hundred pound in the sixteen hundred? If you're going to live to that age, so this is all about having the right diet. I tell you what, as well, if you've no watched it last night, John Snow did a fantastic show last night on Channel Four, and you'll get it on Catch Up. Is how to live to hundred years old. That's quite interesting. I, I tell you what, it blew me away. And guess what? Every single person that's at that age is vegan. Yeah. What does it tell you? Meat and dairy, but you're just gonna all have a go and keep going at these vegans and saying they're all they're all talking rubbish and they're just you know, they're just idiots. But the reality is, 
the people in Japan and around the world that are actually living a long and beneficial life later on and, and, a, and, a, and a functional and a contributory life later on are the people are actually having a plant-based diet. Yeah. You don't need to call them vegan. They, they're just no. having a vegan diet. You know, vegans, you know, don't wear, they don't wear, you know, things like leather and things that are contributed from animals. Uh, they don't do anything as that. That's, that's a vegan. Having yeah. a plant-based diet is a different, a different uh, scenario. And I was a plant-based diet in the beginning because I realized after watching and looking into it all the time that that actually contributes to more well-being, better mental health as well, believe it or not, because you're getting less toxins um, and also all the benefits. So it's not just about wealth as in money, it's also wealth as in your health and your mental well-being. That's what... That's what this show's all about as well. It's the it's the bigger picture. It's the, I've seen loads and loads of billionaires talk about their money and talk about you know what is the most what is the most successful thing you've done in your life, and every single one of them has come back to saying the most the the sign that I would say or, or even multimillionaires the sign that I would say for my success would be the very fact that my children actually want to hang out with me when they're older. Yeah, that says a lot. Gets pretty lonely, I tell you what. You've not got kids when you're older. <laughs> you better have a good, you better have a good network round about you, because yeah. what you're doing right now, if you're in the younger generation and you don't have a family, I'm not saying have a family, but it does get pretty lonely when you get older if you don't have these people. I, I have siblings that are in that situation as well, and I, I'll be honest, I don't think they've got a better quality of life than me because I've got children. Um, I think I've, I think I've benefited immensely from having children. Uh, and having a family round about me um, to look after and actually contribute towards as well, uh, I think that's the. I think that to me now is the most successful thing I've ever done, um, and and you, you'll get it when you get to sort of my age, fifty six. Yeah. <laughs> I know I, I could have said I was eighty, but really, <laughs> I just got a good diet. <laughs> okay, so let Richard, you'll move us on on this, and we'll we'll talk about this one. We yeah. yeah we had said that we wanted to talk about. We did a wee retake because I realised that it was actually forty properties I'd actually got in yeah. that period of time up to my first million. Um, so, so and let's talk about um this one. This was the four bedroom upper. This was actually I think this one, the four bedroom upper that I bought. I bought it actually for twenty four and a half thousand. Yeah, and it was a four bedroom upper maisonette. Um, again, and, and and it was October two thousand and three, um, and I actually did spend. I, I, it wasn't a repossession. It was actually somebody bought it. I bought it off a sort of private buyer. Um, it was on the market, I think, with another agent um, at that time. So I went round and I bought it. Um, but I knew I had to spend quite a bit of money on it to do something. So I did invest nine thousand pound in it. Um, so basically, all in. You're probably talking about 33,000, 34,000 mm -hmm. for the legal fees at that time. So 34,000 in, but but what is that rented for today? 450, 500? I think we're, we're closer to the 500. I think it's four. Did we get 475 for that one? Yeah. Do you sure know, and sometimes I was actually getting 750 pounds for it. Yeah, depending on how you set it up. Yeah. Ask me how that's possible, and I'll tell you because a four bedroom family and housing benefit. We'll get an allowance up to it's probably more than seven hundred and fifty pound a month now. At home, it is, yeah. Possibly about seven ninety now. We'll get up to seven hundred and ninety pound and uh, rent towards their housing benefit. So you know, I pointed that out. I could easily just charge that to the local authority and also to the government. And the government went, ah, "Well, we're not really bothered. No, everybody will do that." I went, "Okay, I'll do it then." 
So basically £9,000 a year in rent for a property I bought for £34,000. Yeah, the rent on that one's four seven five. Yeah. This is how this is how this is how when you think about it. This is how you if you you have to become an expert at understanding the system. If you become an expert and study how the system works, you then know how to how to how to how to use that to the best of, of its advantage for you um, and your circumstances. This is why I talk about pension planning, about me, my next steps is actually having to find out what I can do. I just found out as well, my, my new mortgage is an offset mortgage. <laughs> Happy days, because I've got the money for my mortgage sitting in another account, earning maybe about 1%. I could put it into that other account and I will not pay any interest on my mortgage and I'll still have access to that money if I really need it. Yeah. For two years. Hallelujah. How great is that? I will not be paying any mortgage. I've just found that out the now, and I had no idea that was that was possible. So offset mortgages are really, really um, beneficial, especially with the very fact that I've got to earn that money to pay that mortgage. Mm -hmm. So if my mortgage, for example, I think it comes about six thousand pound a year when I work it out now. If I work that back and work it, I have to probably earn about nine or ten thousand pound to to get the six thousand pound in my hand, and then I have to pay the mortgage. So I'm actually I'm actually offsetting that. So therefore, I don't need to earn that amount of money. I could actually take that money out instead of having to pay 40% tax on it. I can take it out via dividends now and actually only pay 8.25% on it or 8.75. I'm not really sure what that is. Yeah. And no national insurance either. So there's another tax efficient way to do that. See how that's done? Yeah. So that's the lessons I've learned. So the lesson I learned on this one um, was, it, you know, this is the lesson I've learned is actually understand the system and understand because I it, it changed from what the system, what the housing benefit system changed from. It changed from it follows the property to it follows the family. Yeah. So it used to be the property. So if you had a four a four bedroom, if you had people maybe if you had uh, people that needed a three bedroom property. And they were they decided to live in a two bedroom property because the kids could maybe have a bunk bed in one room, but they qualify for a three bedroom, but they can only get a two bedroom at the time. Your rent would be restricted from the housing benefit system to the two bedroom allowance. That's not that no longer applied anymore. That was mm -hmm. changed. It actually followed the family. It was nothing to do with the property. And I know it sounds really stupid, but this is how you understood That's the system and how it worked. Yeah is you could move, move a family with a four-bedroom allowance into a one-bedroom property yeah. and actually charge them the £750 a month for it. And the, the, the state would pay it. Yeah, that sounds, it just sounds ludicrous when you say it like that. But that's It does sound yeah. ludicrous. And that's the exact example I pointed out to the local authority. And I pointed out, because I used to be on the, on the housing partnership panel um, representing private landlords at the strategic level for, 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 them, for housing policy and fight council. Yeah. And also used to be the chairman of the National Landlord Association for Scotland. So I used to point out all these stupidities in their system and the in the in this in the housing benefit system. And when I brought it to the attention of them and I brought it to the attention of the government, and they just went, Well, no, everybody will do it, and it's the system and it's how it works. It's like that Rishi Sunak or, or Boris Johnson thing, we'll just give everybody four hundred pounds towards their energy, even though they're, they're we're not gonna means test it, we're just giving everybody four hundred quid. But the yeah. person that's making a bloody fortune, are they really needing 400 quid? No, because it makes it so easy for a, a, a minister that system. It's 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 not, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make sense to actually try and 
intervene at certain levels to do the means testing because it will cost more money than the actual given away. Yeah, so they just blanket paid everybody the phone. The blanket, the blanket, <laughs> yeah, the carpet bomber, basically, if they want yeah. a better, napalm it, if they want for one of their So that's what I learned out of uh, 211 um, that I actually, I actually got a four-bedroom. Uh, I could yeah. not believe it, um, but that was the case. It was a three-bedroom at one point, but I subdivided the living room again and actually put a stud partition in between because it was like it was like the other one that we had, where uh, the, the front the and back actually was so long that you could actually easily get the living room and uh, and a room off the back. So I made the option of it being a four-bedroom or possibly a three-bedroom with a dining room and a living room. So, yeah. so the person had the choice. I love properties that you can actually make really multifunctional. That's the key here. If you can if you can adapt it to different functions and actually keep it yeah. in the affordability level, you can have a three bedroom, you can have a two bedroom, you can have a one bedroom, you can have a four bedroom out of the same property. Um, but as long as the rent level was the same, that's fine. That's okay. Yeah. Because the return on capital is still there. Yeah, that one's set up just now. It's it's a three bedroom with the one reception, but there's it could be a two with two reception, or like you say, it could be back into a four as yeah. well. And it was actually a different mortgage company. This was, this was still a limited company. And I think it was Mortgage Trust I got it through. Uh, and the interest on that, and we're getting 475 on it the day, you were saying. Yeah. Um, and the interest on that is 153 quid a month. So we're clearing a good margin to actually account for any repairs and improvements and still have a better return um, in there um, for that reason. And again, this is one I've never remortgaged. I, I don't see the point of doing this. The, the value today is probably double the value. Um, after the twenty-year period, but I don't see the point of remortgaging unless I really need to, um, that, because it's a really good preferential rate. Next one, yeah. This, this is actually one I started to learn about. Do not chop down the tree that bears the fruit. A one bed. This is a one bed. A one bed. Yeah. yeah. I took advantage. I started to the penny started to drop about the capital gains allowance every single year. Now I know it's they're, they're getting rid of it and it's getting reduced. But at that time, I thought, wait a minute, um, I could actually just sell that property from our names and sell it to my limited company, still keep the asset, still earn money on it, so I'm not chopping down the tree that bears the fruit, and actually actually get it at a higher value and alleviate the capital gain on it I've got already under, under our own names. So that's what I started to do. I, I worked that out in 2004, um, capital gains. I'll, I'll just take them out of our own name and I'll start to transfer them to a limited the limited company. I'll sell them to the limited company. I'll create a loan from the limited company because I don't obviously want to, I don't draw money out. I don't, you know, oh, I've got money. Let's go and buy a car. No, I didn't do that. Um, I just keep the money back in and I create a loan from a director's loan to the company. So I can take it out anytime I want, but I leave it back in. The banks love it when I do that because they realise I've got skin in the game. I'm quite prepared to leave the money in there and I'm not a loose cannon that will go and run out and buy a Ferrari or a, you know, or a, or a yacht or something crazy at some point in time. Uh, and I demonstrate a track record. Just that, to say that uh, demonstrates you and, then, and it also puts you in good stead for relending and things as well. Absolutely. So that, that was the one I bought for 15 and a half in the very beginning, my very right. first one. I kept and then I flipped it to my company at that time for 20 grand. Yeah. Um, and, and a, there's a capital gain there, and that alleviated. But remember, that's 20 years ago, so that was a lot of money. I mean, it's still a lot of money today, but I never paid tax on that because the capital gains allowance took account of that. 
Uh, and I've still got that. So 20 grand I bought it sitting as an asset. Mm. It would probably sell it for probably probably about, about 50, maybe 55 now. Yeah. So another 150 yeah. increase in the price. Uh, you know, do you see a pattern here, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that property increases in value over the long term. Every single time. The last 20 years, property has gone up in the UK on average 170%. Inflation's only gone up 70%, even though you take account of the... the 10% today, you could say then a, a, a real push is going to be 8%, but you're still yeah. making 90 to 100% real in real terms on the asset class you've got, plus the very fact that you're earning money from it as well. Yeah. What else does that? Gold doesn't do that. Silver no. doesn't do that. Crypto doesn't do that. The FTSE does that to a degree, but it doesn't make the return it properly makes even today. With all these tax disadvantages now, it still makes money if you get the numbers right. So that's the lessons I've been taught out of that. Next one has actually, it was an advert in the paper. My two-bedroom lower flat, advert in the paper. The boy phone Martin says, I've got a two-bedroom lower flat. I've been renting it for years. I just want rid of it. I can't be bored with it. I says, what are you thinking of? And he went, uh, well, if I can get 23,000, I'll be fine. Ooh, I was like a rat in pipe. <laughs> Straight over there. I'll come and see you the night. He was just, it was the deal he wanted. He was sick to death there. He just wanted rid of it. It was his next door to him. He says, I've just had hassle over the years. I really can't be bored with it anymore. He sold it to me for 23 grand, two bedroom lower flat. And instantly I was able to, I did a wee bit of refurbishment on it in the beginning. I didn't do too much refurbishment. I just tarted it up, carpets and curtains. And and, and I did uh, I did uh, wallpapering and decorating and all the rest of it. Tidied the garden as well. And I rented it for 450 a month. Notice how 450 a month at that time is still 450 a month today, yeah. 20 years later. The, the government actually didn't recognise the fact that rents really didn't go up in these sort of asset classes. I mean, some of the, the numbers so, work. Yeah, some of the two beds like that, I mean, if they're done really, really high standard, I mean, we, we do maybe 475, Kim, but I mean, it's no any great difference for when it was then. They're not going up automatically, but that's why I've never actually seen the point of remortgaging. Now, I have remortgaged to buy more property. In the same company, yeah. Just recently, so I did another twenty on last year. You know that yourself, yeah. Um, but I did remortgage for that reason. But it was at twenty three, so it would probably sell. I mean, these two bedroom flats now are selling for seventy five thousand. Good condition. We were doing ones at seventy seventy five and things, yeah. Yeah. So, so you're you're almost three times the original price that's gone up. Um, so you're making two hundred percent of the original price. Um, on top of that, so it's two hundred percent return over the last 20 years, plus the rent or the difference in the rent between the overheads and all that you've paid and what you've come out with. So there's there's definitely a real good increase in there and benefit for that. A um, couple of things I, I, I probably um, I probably learned out of this one. What did I learn out of this one? Um, referencing. Uh, you know, we've had a few, I've had a few, had a few challenging tenants over the years in this property. Um, but that's my own doing because in the early, very early days, I never referenced properly. It was it's my own portfolio. I did everything myself. I really didn't have time to do qualified referencing all that much. So I really thought on my feet and learned from 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 my own mistakes over yeah. the years. You can see that it's only in two thousand and four. It's twenty years ago. Um, a long we've taken a long journey since then. So so that's what I learned about that. Again, coming back to referencing. Uh, that was when at the time as well as the people that used to stay in it before with the other tenant, with the other landlord that was next door, 
actually the people that used to say it before i knew were actually um, actually um had convictions for drugs because we started to keep a database of all the convictions in the local paper and use that database. We used to look up the names and it used to tell you the aliases that were with these people in the paper. It was public information. Now it's still on the court registers as well. If you go to the court registers, um, you'll actually see the public information of the convictions that people have and, and where the previous addresses were of these people. So we were able to track these people and, and believe it or not, in the years after that, these same people actually used to try and apply for houses with us and we'd quickly look up the thing and go, no. Nah. But there's an easy way to put people off rather than saying, no, you've got a conviction um, um, for drugs and you're not getting it under any circumstances. You just, you make it just so easy for people and you just say, look, you know, you're obviously needing a, the first month's rent up front. You're obviously needing the deposit up front as well. We probably need a guarantor as well. Somebody will vouch for you. It will be, you know, credit worthy as well. And and most of these people say, look, I can't get anybody like that and say, look, sorry, pal, I, I would have, but unfortunately, that's the position we are with that property just now. And it's an easy way to to say no to someone without actually falling out of them. Because in the past, they used to, in the very early days, they used to say to somebody, you're going to be really difficult for me, you're not getting this. And then they'd have the boyfriend on the phone threatening me. <laughs> yeah, and I think we've covered. I know who you say, pal, I'm coming to get you right now. And I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? It's literally that's what it was like. It was like the Wild West sometimes. And yeah, we've we'll, we'll covered before. The phone. Yeah, we've covered before about garden tours and things. And if uh, people in that kind of circumstance and you don't really want them as a tenant, if, if they can't produce a garden tour, they don't have somebody that's going to vouch for them, then it speaks volumes about the fact that you, yeah. you don't really want them as a tenant anyway. So, but but if you did it, if you if you put people off the wrong way, you you, you were getting threatened. You were getting yeah. people phoning you back and actually threatening to come round and have a go at you. Um, mm -hmm. because they knew who you were. I mean, they never really knew where I was, but but they sometimes gave an indication like they did know where I was. And it, and it was genuinely like you kind of thought to yourself, I don't really want to go out just in case I bump into the wrong person. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what it's like being a landlord sometimes and doing it all yourself. You don't have that, you don't have that in between. You don't yeah. have that buffer where, where a letting agent's looking for it. And it's a personal thing to you. So you have to be really skilled with people. And you have to be skilled at actually saying no to people in, a, in the right way in order to not kick them off like that. Because you will get some people who are actually, for want of a better phrase, undesirable. It's like yeah. no one will touch them because of their track record, because of their maybe their convictions, because of their maybe into drugs, maybe their maybe their antisocial behaviour, and you know about them like that. But you have to be very skillful and 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 saying no to these people in case it really comes back to bite you and the fact that you will you could end up um, literally getting uh, assaulted. Yeah. Yeah, and I think agents like myself and things, I mean, there's a lot of training that goes into mediating between tenants and landlords and creating that buffer that you spoke about, Jim. Um, and it's really important to have that. Um, this is why people, people retro think it's money. Oh, it's just money for a rope. You you landlords make a fortune to everybody. It's like, it's no, no. if you understood the journey we have to go through as landlords, and and the abuse we get as landlords, a lot of people wouldn't do it. We had somebody comment another week and says, God, I, I didn't can how you, I would never have been able to do what you did. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was with people threatening me at my door, coming to my door and threatening me. And for no apparent reason, saying it's all my fault, in actual fact, it was nothing to do with me at all. I was just the person with my head above the parapet, and I was the person they could actually pick on because I was in I was in public view at that time, and I still am today, as we are here.
so I accept that can happen. I, I just accept that's part of what I do now. And you just have to accept that that is what that is part of being a landlord and part of being a letting agent. Um I would definitely say that's that's probably the case. Somebody says uh, on TikTok, do you still work at Asda? I've never worked at Asda. <laughs> Although I tell you what, I tell you what, do I still work at Asda? Here's a classic example. Is if somebody asks me where something is, I'll pretend I'm working at Asda's and I'll go and take them to where that is. That product. I used to do it all the time. I used to get asked in Woolworths as well. I used, to, I used to clean the floors in Woolworths. I used to polish the floors as a young lad, as a teenager. And people used to come up to me and say, "Do you know where that? Do you know where this is, Sonny? And that is. And, I, and 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 other people used to say, "Well, I don't work here. I'm just cleaning the floor." And I used to say, "No problem, madam. I'll just take you right to there. It's on L four. I'll take you around and I'll show you where it is. Give, just give me a second. And I would go around and actually show them where it is, like I was a member of the staff. <laughs> and even today, I sometimes get that because I walk in in a shirt and tie. And you often, sometimes, once in a blue moon, you'll get somebody turn around to you and say, "Oh, do you know where this is? Or do you know?" I get that. Going I'm going. No problem. I could. Uh, I'll just get somebody to help you. And then I'll just call one of the one of the assistants over and I go, this this lady or this woman or this man's wanting this or that, and say and say I'll leave you with them. The great stuff. And it's like and everybody's like, who is this guy? Yeah. I was in Mor I was in Morrison's. I went into Morrison's after work like this one day, and they're like, excuse me, could you? And they're talking. I was like, I didn't work here, but uh, I'll I'll try and uh, I'll try and point you in the right direction. But uh, yeah. I just don't do the excuse that I don't work here. I just go, I'll help you just now and I'll get it sorted out for you. Um, it's just, it's, I just, I think it's an easier one of saying I don't work here because it's yeah. embarrassing to get of saying, oh, I didn't realise. So I don't really <laughs> want people to be embarrassed for themselves that they've asked to, you know, they feel stupid. So I just say, I just, I just pretend I work there and I just go and help them out. Um, next one, actually, this was a lower flat. Um, this was yeah. bought for twenty two thousand seven hundred twenty one, and then I've spent three thousand seven hundred on. Um, so around about twenty five thousand all in, uh, and it was a lower flat, and it was um, it was behind a commercial premises. But again, this was like the other one we spoke about, the upper one that I had. Um, mm -hmm. It was right off the high street. It was easy walking to distance everything. It didn't have. It really just had the living room. It had a big open bit, and then it had the kitchen in the back, and then it had a separate bedroom, a separate bathroom. But apart from that, there was nothing else to it. But it was a great, it was a great single person's house uh, uh, property, lower flat. Mm -hmm. um, so over the years, actually, because it was lower as well, and it was it was built, it was adapted to barrier free. Um, some people in wheelchairs were actually using it as well because it was right next to the high street, and it was easily for them to get in and out. And also, it was quite secure, um, and it was off the beaten track, and you never really knew it existed uh, unless it was there. So it was nice and yeah. quiet and personal for that person. So all in, it was 25,000 for me in 2004. Uh, and I was renting that, you know, the usual, round about, what, what 350, 360 a month? I don't um, think I ever dealt with this one, Jim. Yeah, no, you've never ever seen it. Uh, you were never with me when you saw it. I subsequently sold it. I was just going to say, we sold it a few years back. In the market in 2006, I sold it for 43,000 pounds. Did so, we resell it recently? Hold it, 2004, 2004, yeah. 25,000. Yeah. Two years later, 43,000. Yeah. And I still earned a wee bit of rent in between. I couldn't not say no to that, that game. Again, in the limited company, so I was able to release money to actually reinvest and buy again. Yeah. Because I just wasn't very sure about that one. But it was at that time, that period of time, where I thought, 
I need to take some profits here because the, the market's going sky high and there's a lot of, I'm losing my capital allowances every year. So I, I ended up doing it with a limited company as well. Uh, this was one of the ones that the agent, it wasn't me that sold it. Actually, it was, I saw one of the other properties in the same block sell with the agent. And and I saw what they got for it. And I went, oh my God, really? You got 40 grand for that? It's like, if I could get that. So this is a lesson I learned. So what I did was, I phoned that agent and I said to them, they're still, they're still going today, by the way. Um, and I said to them, do you think you can get 40 grand for mine? I'm on bedroom below. And they went, yeah, absolutely. I went, okay, if you can get 40 grand or more, I will put it on with you. And they went, yeah, I will do. So I put it on with them. Okay. Now this is talking about hung by your tongue because that's what yeah. I said to them exactly. And then I'm lying on the beach in Spain, as you do. And then he phones me up and says, I've got you an offer of 37,000 for it. Sorry? What happened to, I'll get you 40,000 plus? <laughs> hung by your tongue. Yeah. And genuinely, I went through this guy like a dose of salts because I said, you said to me, uh, I was, so this is all about managing expectations because yeah. we discussed and you said to me plainly, I never misheard this, that you would get me 40,000 plus. So why on earth are you phoning me up about 37,000 when I'm on my holiday? So subsequently, he went back with his tail between his legs and he got me 43,000. But could you see how that could easily happen? I could have just said, yeah, that's a great price and take it. And not held not held that person to account, and it was only you're only talking about a couple of weeks later. I managed to get that that extra six thousand pound. But at that time, six thousand pounds a lot of money because that's a yeah. deposit for another property. Uh, you know, when when you're buying, so it made a fundamental difference. Actually, just understanding where I was and where the market was. But it's easy for me within a short space of time to say, "Wow, thirty-seven thousand from twenty-five thousand. That's a great jump," and just accept it. So you've got to understand the market and do your homework to know where you are right now and not just accept the first thing that comes in the door. Make sure. Yeah, this is the this is the difference between we talk about the, the chimp paradox. Mm -hmm. So the chimp, the emotional side of your brain, six times power more powerful than the human side of your brain, which is the logical part. The chimp often takes over every single time. The chimp gets to know everything before you do. And the chimp's the one that goes, kicks off about everything. And you can see how the chimp kicked off. But the chimp equally could say as well is like, wow, 37 grand, that's a great idea. Whereas like, no, 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 get the chimp to consult with a human. If anybody knows the chimp paradox, you'll understand, with a human. And the human will then say, well, actually, the market's actually a lot better than that. And then you could probably get a lot more than that because there's a short space of time. And then the chimp goes back and goes, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm not going to kick off. Yeah, see how that's done? Yeah. So the logical side of your brain, the emotional side of your brain, communicate with each other without you knowing, and you have to you have to stabilize that. Um, that's key here. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's the thing I learned out of this one uh, definitely, and this set me up for the years to come. Um, because then this was actually the first instrumental step, Richard, I took in May two thousand and six, when I thought to myself, actually I could do better than what he was doing. And it was at that time, as, a, as an agent, we'll talk about that in the journey. We'll talk about that next week in the journey when I became an estate agent and how that yeah. happened. But it was at that time I thought, I could do better than you can, and you're getting paid a good amount of money for this, for me, for selling my property. And what you're doing is, is, is for want of a better phrase, dog shit. <laughs> and effectively, that's what that person still does today um, in terms of the in terms of the service. It's just got a big brand and everybody everybody falls over with the brand. Uh, but they don't realize the backup and you know 
it was the difference between Dolly Parton and and, and uh, Art Wright open all hours. So you know he used to get called Dolly Parton from from some of the people, and it was nine to five, and I used to get called Art Wright, which was open all hours. Two fundamental differences in their attitude. Everybody recognised that I was always available, but this person actually went home at nine o'clock, uh, started at nine, finished at five, phone off, never, never, you'll never hear for that person again until the next day. You'll never hear for that person at the weekend either. You'll never get any consultation of that. And I thought I could do better than that because I'm completely different in my approach to things. And that's what that's what started me off. So that was the that was the seed that that planted to grow to the tree later on, which we'll talk about in that journey next week. So that's where we are with that one. That's the lessons I learned for that one. Uh, 2004 in April, three-bedroom upper came available. God, I feel really guilty about this one. Um, and and I, my wife keeps telling me, why do you feel guilty? You are taking all the risk. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, this person, who were, who were actually known to us, and they were kind of acquaintances and friends um, to a degree, they were advised by their estate agent at the time that the market was going to crash in 2004. Well, there's another story, because it was 2008, and it meteorically went up. But this is what happened. They were advised by their estate agent, um, who's no longer here, no surprise, because um, they weren't a really good estate agent. Um, they were advised by their estate agent that they should sell now to avoid the crash that's coming, four years before it actually happened on the meteorite rise of the market still going up. So they, they they approached me direct and said, Jim, they've told me it's worth 32,000, okay? And I said, okay, is that a three-bedroom upper? Yeah. And I took a look around it and I thought, wow, 32,000. Now at that time, remember I'm buying flats and apartments at 15, 20. So 32,000 is a big jump for me in 2004. Um, to, in terms of money, and it's like I could probably get two, two decent flats, you know, probably for about sixteen each, which will make that figure up. So why would I want to buy this one? But they said to me, "We will rent it back from you till we find our next property when we, when you buy it." And I went, "Okay, that sounds good to me. Money from day one, and you're going to yeah. continue to live in it. I don't need to do anything with it except comply with the legislation at the time." So I bought it from them for thirty two thousand. In 2004, and two years later, once they eventually moved out, they'd been paying rent for two years to me every single time and looking after the property, and I'd done nothing to it. And two years later, I decided to sell it in December for 56500 because the market had gone up. Yeah, Boy, were they. Now, they were absolutely wonderful as a couple Yeah, and kids, and they lived in it. They had just been given poor advice from the wrong estate agent. But I felt really guilty at the very fact that I've just made all that rent from them for the two years. Plus and I've just made the best part of £24,000 in two years on that property. And we sold it to someone who actually gave us it back to manage. Yeah. Uh, and I feel... But Elaine says to me, but equally, if the market had crashed... Because I, I thought, well, even if the market crashes and they're in that property and they're paying £500 a month, um, then why should I really bother? Because I'm still getting £500 a month. It doesn't make any difference to me. But but Elaine said equally as well, she said in, in the nutshell, she said, but would they have actually accepted the losses that you made 
if yeah, the market had actually crashed at that time, like they had been told by their estate agent. And I kind of reckon someone would say, you're absolutely right, they wouldn't have. I would have had to take that hit. So equally, I would have, I, I should enjoy that gain as well. But I still, I just, in the back of my mind, I still feel kind of a wee bit, I, I don't know, but I, I shouldn't really feel guilty at all, but it's the very fact that it's people I know, and I made 24000 on the back of that, because there's always the price that sold it to me for. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that was reinvested back in the business. It was never taken out. So I think from that one, the, the best advice I, I, I learned for that one is, again, we come back to saying, get the right advice from the right people. Definitely. Look at the facts and figures to back that up. Um, that probably stands prevalent, and we were the only person swimming the different way when it came into the, the um, pandemic. Yeah, you know, we said it that we have no there's no indicators at all there which suggest that this market's going to crash. There's nothing that tells us that. Where is that evidence? And everybody else says there's a catastrophic crash coming. And I'm going, if anything, people are going to come out of this. This is going to go up as a boom in December or thereabouts when we actually talked about it on in April yeah. on our show. Um and lo and behold, that's what actually happened. Just going so to say it's, I, it's actually recorded when our show was us discussing it prior to it happening. So yeah, so I I do think it's down to getting the right advice from the right people. Yeah, I'll, asking, always speak to the right people. Yeah, yeah, and asking time and time again. I mean, there's no surprise there. I'm going to go to Standard Life to ask about the pension, and then I'm going to go to, go to my accountant and then ask about what the maximum pension contributions in, and then just work out what the best is for me in terms of my pension contributions in order to make it more tax efficient, where I'll get a higher return my investment for putting my money into my pension and the offset mortgage as well i've got to phone the the clydesdale and work out you know if i put that money in then will that truly offset against that and will i pay no mortgage at all it's like that's another question i've got to ask so just watch out for these opportunities that appear the mortgage works has sent me through that saying my interest rates going up but it does have here on the bottom consider your options we offer you a range of product mortgage products for existing customers Simply visit tmwdirect.co.uk, existing uh, customers, for more information. They actually let you mortgage switch without actually consulting them at all. You can do it so literally. You just switch across, yeah. switch mortgage Basically, to the touch your finger, just switch over. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The only thing I need to consider is what property that's attached to, which because I've got the account number, but I don't have the address. What property is that attached to? And have I got any intention of selling that property or transferring that property to the limited company in the next couple of years? Because this will be under personal name, you see. Yeah. Um, so, and what implications will it have for mortgage interest as well at the lower rate and what we are earning right now under our own, under our own names? It's, the, it's that strategy I have to work out in order to work out, should I fix it now and it or will last it a time? Or should I offload it to the limited company? Or should I just sell it? Or should I just leave the mortgage as it is and let it run as variable just now until uh, until I have more clarity about where we're going? That's what you need to decide yeah. when you do things like that. So not so watch out for the wee small prints when your mortgage uh, stuff comes through. You might be able to you might be able to switch your mortgage online without any consultation with anybody at all to a far better rate. I've done it one, two, three, four. This will probably be five times in the last two months. Mm-hmm. So be careful. Watch out for that. Um, so look out for these opportunities. You've got to be switched on to this, remember. It's the opportunity you've got to look out for. Okay. Best buy to let areas in Scotland has got to be five. Yeah. It's got to be five. And and I, 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 the returns in five are astronomical in comparison to any other place in the UK. 
and, and people and might think that's a bias. To, uh, I am response, so lucky. But... I'm so lucky for actually living here and being born here because mm -hmm. it's acres of diamonds right on your doorstep. The opportunity is all around you. But for you, on, on you know, he's on TikTok, um, or she's on TikTok, whoever that is. I don't recognise the name you see. It's just a, it's just a general name. Um, for the best bike ladies in Scotland, I'm going to talk about that. You're probably better to speak to Richard, um, who's our Lettons director, because he'll show you the right opportunities. You don't see them because you're obviously not on point all the time, whereas they're right off the top of my head every single time. Yeah. I know exactly where to buy and what to buy and what numbers to do it. I could look at something straight away and go, no, straight away if it should be a buy, just because I'm in that zone. If you're in the zone, you know straight away. It's like it's like the foveal and peripheral vision. I'm foveal all the time when it comes yeah. to that. I'm totally focused. And when you take away of being totally focused on something, you, you look away for a wee while on a blank wall and you actually still see a picture of that that what you've been focused yeah. on at that time. That's you that's that that's that beginning to fade because you're now going to periphery vision. And this is what happens with opportunity. Opportunity appears when you're prepared. The point of your readiness, because you've you're totally focused on what you're needing to do to get that result. And when the when the opportunity appears and you're prepared for it, that is the point of readiness, and that is where the magic happens. You better believe that's where the magic happens. It's it's phenomenal sometimes what you can achieve. And you don't think it's going to do much for you right now, but in the next 10 to 20 years, it will blow your mind. I used to get told by my mentors, look, you're going to this function, but take a carrier bag with you. And I'm like, what? You need to take a carrier bag because your brains are going to get blown out the back of you. <laughs> With the information and advice and the knowledge you'll get from these from these mentors and and the functions that you're actually attending, and they weren't they weren't the kidding. Some of it sunk in, um, and some of it didn't. Yeah, you're never going to take it all in at once. But over a period of time, yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's the point of readiness. It's yeah. like when you watch when you watch or listen to something again, you think I never noticed that before, because you're now picking up on extra information and extra advice. Mm -hmm. I think it's um, I think it's relevant to you depending on where you are in your journey, whether you pick up certain things and implement them at certain times throughout your journey. Um, I think that's important, and I've noticed that in my own journey as well. Like I'll pick up things that maybe I wouldn't have picked up the year previously because I'm now in a different, obviously, place and mindset and things. But so I think that influences what you pick up and how you how you use that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Somebody asked the seven TikTok. I know you're trying to be funny. Um, he says, "Lend me a fiver till next Tuesday." I'll know. I'll never lend people money. I will show you how to make money. Yeah. Give a man, teach a man. To, what is it? Give a man a fish, and he will eat for a day. Teach a man to fish, and he will fish for the rest of his life. Yeah. So I'll always show people how to make money because there's no reason why you can't do it. Anybody can do it. I mean, let's be honest. Look at the people I've been sharing from TikTok lately. It's like, my God, these are people with severe cerebral palsy. Can't even communicate with anybody. Making an absolute fortune on TikTok with, a, with, a, with what they've got. They've yeah. just said, I'm just going to go with what I've got and I'm going to sell, sell, sell on TikTok. And it's yeah. <laughs> and I'm in total, all of these people, literally no communication mm -hmm. skills at all, and they are coining it in on yeah. TikTok. Yeah, that is that is the true spirit of entrepreneurial, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
So that was that one. Uh, another opportunity appeared, and before I jump back to the self-employed, actually self-employed, this was another opportunity appeared. This is when I started to get into private sector leasing. So private sector leasing at that time in 2005, I sat in the housing partnership with Five Council, so we helped develop them, helped them develop some. Um, this is the advantage of obviously being in with the right networks. This is this is what this told me. Um, in with the right networks, the right people, because. I helped him develop private sector leasing on their uh, as a as a steering group in order so the fight so the council could rent properties directly from private landlords because they had no stock it was all gone by then for the for their homeless unit so they can then rent them from us permanently and actually use them to house people on temporary accommodation now it still goes on today but this was pioneering remember this is 20 years ago almost Fight Council and what we were doing were blowing everybody else out the water in the whole of Britain because we were pioneering charter mark for private landlords. We were pioneering uh, charter mark for letting agents, which is now a, a, now a, now a, a, a legal requirement. But we were doing this in 2005. We were the first charter mark landlord, Elaine and I, in, in the whole of Britain, by, approved by a council. We were also the first letting agent charter mark approved by a council in the whole of Britain. As private as private landlords and letting agents. What does that say about what we are doing? Pioneering, leading from the forward, blazing the trail, making it happen. And these were the these were the templates that were taken from this to the Scottish government to actually implement landlord registration and accreditation from Fife Council. They recognized what they were doing and what we were doing, how we were helping them set up these organizations and set up these public, uh, these processes and systems and internal controls to make sure people were approved and accredited. I always said to everybody in 1999, when I formed the Landlord Association, uh, Five Landlords, that one day every single private landlord will be licensed. And people in the room used to laugh. And I says it will come at some point in time. I formed it more than likely, and I became a private landlord because I saw what everybody else was doing, and I wanted to improve the standards of the of the whole thing. And that's why I, that's why I formed Fife Landlord Association and became chairman of the National Landlord Association because I wanted to up the ante on accreditation for private landlords. I wanted private landlords to accredited. I wanted to push the cowboys out. I wanted to push the you know the the slum landlords out of the market completely. Now they're almost down to about 0.05% of the landlord population. These people hardly exist anymore because we've managed to get rid of all these, all of them. You'll never get rid of them all the time. But this was my ad ad advantage. I used to bring the, the, you know, the more challenging landlord then to the organization and I used to teach them what they needed to do to become above, you know, more above board. So it was actually change people from within rather than castigate them from without. Because it's the sun and it's the sun in the in the in the wind, isn't it? The story about the sun and the wind. It's the classic example of, you know, the sun says, I'll I'll see if I can get this guy to take his jacket off. And the wind goes, I'm gonna get him to take it off before you. And the wind has a go and starts blowing and blowing and blowing. And the boy puts his jacket on and pulls it on even more and ties it around his body and puts all these buttons and and puts himself up. And he says, I'm never gonna get this guy's coat off. And that's the wind. That's the that's the the stick. And then the sun goes, he goes to the sun and goes, you have a try. And the sun comes out and goes, yes. <laughs> and the sun comes out in glorious sunshine. And actually, all the heat and the boy immediately goes, I'm taking my jacket off. 
I wanted to be the son. Um, and that's what I did with the Landlord Association. That's how I got people to be accredited. And that's how I got people involved in being charter mark landlords as well. So we were on a crusade to professionalise the, the, the landlord. Um, uh, to professionalise being a landlord. That was the, what this was all about. And because of that, Fife Council actually engaged with us all the time. And they were we allowed and we worked together to create organisations. So... These two here were actually as a, a result of me going round and actually looking for properties for them to put on private sector leasing. So in May yeah. 2005, I visited them in Cooper and I visited one that was on the market with an estate agent uh, and I actually took, I learned my lesson because I used to do this before with Fife Council and say, yeah, I'll buy that property so you can rent it from me. Uh, three years later, we're still waiting for you to rent it and, uh, and then they changed their mind. So I've learned my lesson this time, and I've learned it the hard way um, of trial and error. And this time I say, right, okay, I'll get you around with me to view the property at the same time for private sector leasing. You tell me if you were going to take them, and if the answer to that is yes, I will buy them on the spot. So I took them around, looked at it, and immediately says to me, yep, we'll, we'll take that one. That'll be perfect for private sector leasing. We'll give you £450 a month, come hell or high water, and you just give her these properties, and we'll look after them, and we'll maintain them, and actually repair them, and improve them as yeah. well. I had no responsibility. I did have to get a, a different insurance, which was dearer, but that was it. They took over everything. They repaired everything, improved everything, because they had the tenant. They were in control. That's why I had to get a different insurance to mitigate that, because they were the yeah. people putting the tenants in, not me, and approving them. Uh, so they took them over from it. They became my tenant, Life Council. And incidentally, when I was round there, it was the guy doing the dune with me, and he says, look, you know, I'm going to be putting upstairs on the soon. I went, I'll buy that as well. <laughs> so I bought that before it went on the market. He saved these estate agency fees, okay? But I bought the both of them in a, in a round robin for, um, I bought them both together for 150000 the two of them. And I was, I was getting £900 a month for them. And I had no responsibility for any of the, any of the legalities. They just took them off me. For 10 years, they used them. Like that, and that yeah, was when, I, when I come along, I was still man, I was still looking after them for you. When and it, when it was five, well, it was five council that was looking after them, but they were still on the portfolio. Now at that time, the interest rate was really low, so I was probably two hundred and fifty. I was clearing four hundred and fifty, so I was clearing two hundred pound on every single property with no overheads except my insurance. Yep. That was it. They had everything else to do, so that was a real good deal to me. Interest rates started to go up though. And I, I then started to think creatively and I started to say to them, look, we're going to have to put the rents up. They then got to a point where the funding was there no longer for them. So they had to hand them back to us. But the beauty was I had it all locked in that they had to improve them, put them back under commercial leases to back what, how they got them, which was mint condition. Yeah. So they had to spend all that money to improve them. And they also had to do as well. They had to give me money because they didn't have the time to do it. So they then had to give me, a, a, I think, a... I think one of them, they actually gave me about £10,000 to do the improvements, to get it back to what it was, and I had to do them, because they just didn't have the resources to put them back to the, at the time to do that. So then there was another bonus out of that as well. Um, so see how these opportunities appear. But it did take me a long time and a lot of lessons to learn to get that deal done. Mm -hmm. Equally, I did another deal. There's no one here. It's later on. And they took it for a And within a week, the, the, the kitchen burnt down because the tenant they put in it, <laughs> and lo and behold, they didn't want to pay the insurance, and that's another story, isn't it? But I actually had to go to the head of housing. I was lucky I actually sat on the board one um, and actually say to him, this isn't on. 
they're actually trying to claim off my insurance when in actual fact you should have the insurance yourself and I shouldn't be responsible for, for repairing this because under our conditions and under our agreement. And eventually he agreed and actually paid all the loss of rent as well because the, the legal department just dug their heels in and it started fighting. This is why you never fight with a council which has their own legal department or anybody that has their own legal person because you're only part-time at this. Yes, they've they got a lot more time. time to do that. They've paid full-time, a full wage to fight everybody legally. This is the whole thing about never fight with a pig. Because <laughs> yeah. you both get dirty, but it's not going to be good for you. Um, so just be aware of that. That's probably the lessons I've learned of that. And incidentally, at the same time, this is the guy that actually told me about the mis-selling the endowment policies when I went round to see him. <laughs> so we're talking about standard life. We're talking about that. And I says, look, I've got a couple of endowment policies with standard life. He says, well, I actually put a claim in for mis-selling my endowment policy. And he says, I've got £5,000. I went, away you go. So I just put an inquiry in and I ended up getting about four grand. <laughs> so I actually went around to visit that boy to buy his property and I ended up being four grand up on my endowments because they were missold to me apparently under legislation. And then also I got the deal with the, the council. See how all that worked, how all that came to fruition. This doesn't yeah. happen by accident. This is the laws of attraction. This is about having proper networking going on. Yeah. Somebody on TikTok says, help her dog charity in Kirkcaldy. Please feel free to message us on info at fiveproperties.co.uk because for certain charities we do, we have invested £30,000 in the last year in local community and charities. We've given £30,000. The year before that was £25,000. The year before that was £15,000. The year before that was £10,000. Over the years, we've contributed another £100,000 back into our communities from the money that we make as estate agents. This is all about giving back. I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing this to put back in the community. So my, what I earn out of the things of business actually goes back into my communities, goes back into helping other people less fortunate than myself. I know what it's like because if you've realised from the very beginning, the start of my journey, homeless and unemployed yeah. with no skills, that's not a great place to be. And I've been there and I know what it's like. Hence the reason why I do so much to actually give back. Yeah. Um, but things like Patrick Harvey didn't see things like that, did he? <laughs> he just sees a greedy landlord. As most people see, that's all they see. That's all they want to. They don't want to know about this. They don't want to know about all the hundreds of thousands of pounds you put back into the community, all the voluntary hours that you put back into your community, and Make-A-Wish Foundation, MCR Pathways. Nobody wants to know that. They just want to have you as the pantomime villain. That's all. They want you to be the villain in this pantomime, because that's all it is. So it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with their story that they tell themselves. So that actually, and then subsequently, I've actually taken advantage again. They were in our own name. So I've taken advantage. I've actually transferred some, one of them to the limited company um, and actually taken advantage of the capital gains allowance at the time. It's it, just going to be a From 70, 75,000. There's a £25,000 gain there. Uh, Elaine and I had joint ownership. We could do that. You transfer on the day, have joint ownership. Therefore, it was easy for us to mitigate that completely against our capital gains allowance for the year, the 25000 that we get between the both of us. So nice. there was no and we were able to transfer it. I did have to pay 4% EDS, which was £4,000 to do it. 
because you're selling it to your limited company. You don't, you can't just transfer it and, and get away with that. So yeah. I did have to pay the £4,000 tax. But the advantage of that is I got rid of the gain it was embedded into there. And I still keep the asset and I don't chop down the tree that bears the fruit. That's the that's the key here out of this. That's the lessons I've learned out of these two properties. So really good. They're really good earners. They're great. I actually visited at one point in time. We'd probably stay in the lower one and retire there. Effectively, it's the government just basically uh, bending you over the table and giving it to you big style. 
Um, that's effectively what they're doing by doing that. So you really have to plan ahead to mitigate this, this happening. My mother and father have never done that, and I've told them about it all these years. And unfortunately, that's going to happen. Hence the reason why I've never relied on them to pass me on anything. <laughs> um, and that's that's how I look at it. Um, I don't expect anything from anybody or any inheritance or anybody at all. Um, so that's what that's what taught me on that one. But I did actually buy it for £60,000 at that yeah. time, in 2005. Um, I did spend a wee bit of money on it. We moved... The, we knocked down the main wall in the living room, moved it in a bit to make a bigger kitchen because it was so tight on both sides. And they had actually restricted the, you know, the, how they bring in the kitchens. Um, mm -hmm. bring them yeah. into about, from the 600 work top to, they cut them back to about 500. And they're quite small then. So we actually took the wall away and moved it in a bit into the living room uh, and actually made a bigger, a, a decent sized kitchen galley style. Uh, and then we just refurbished and moved it and rewired it. Remember we spent about 14 grand on it. Um, so, from 2005 and we sold it in 2019 but remember we've earned money every single month off of this when you work out what's best part of what 400 times 14 years 400 say five grand a year in rent times 14 years is 50 is 70 thousand pounds in rent so we've got 70 thousand pound in rent effectively over the 14 years for a property we've actually invested 75 thousand in and then subsequently, we sold it for 92000 in 2019. Now, why did I sell it? I asked mother, I ask myself that often. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I sort of took a, a, for want of a better phrase, brain fart. Uh, and actually thought, oh, I'm going to sell everything off now. And then I, then I took a, a leave absence and I thought to myself, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing chopping down every single tree that bears the fruit? That's absolutely crazy. Uh, and then I then I stopped in my tracks. Then we started yeah. buying again. Um, but it did actually allow me to then to release money to then go and give to Tony and my my, my kids in order for them to help them with their pensions and with their first buy of their house as well and for buying their their, their cars. Equally, you notice that I've managed to buy Elena a car. I've managed to buy Ben a car. I've managed to buy Scott a car. I've managed to buy Tony a car. But I don't actually own a car myself. <laughs> I don't, I don't, the money means, the money literally doesn't mean all that much to me. It's more important about what it can do for other people. That's the only reason I'm doing this. It's what it does for everybody else. I get a real buzz out of, out of giving to other people. I get a real buzz yeah. out of that. It's not about me. I could go out and earn money all I want and I could be great and I could, I could go on everything and all these great holidays I want, but I, it doesn't float my boat. It's giving back to other people and seeing them succeed is the yeah. most important thing for me. It's uh, And some people get that, some people don't. The guy, uh, Dave Fishwick of Bank of Dave, which is on Netflix now, Dave gets that straight away. I'm kind of like, I kind of think that same way as well. Dave's like, I've done all right. You know, I've got I mean, he's obviously bought Ferraris because you see them in his, in his yeah. photographs and stuff like that. And that's fine for him. He, he's done all right. I think he actually keeps them as uh, investments you know, to appreciate over time. I don't think he actually drives them. Um, so he puts his money into that as investments, whereas I put in bricks and mortar. Um, but Dave actually does the same thing. You know, he wanted to start a bank to help his local community, a savings and loan. The 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 powers that be actually tried to stop him. So if you've not watched Bank of Dave or Bank on Dave, watch it. Because I remember Dave Fishwick's journey in the very beginning in 2005 when they were actually knocking him back all the time and actually him fighting against tooth and nail. So for this to come out now, 
and actually, it's a it's a great revelation the fact that he actually got what he, he got what he, he planned on, um, but he didn't he didn't let them say no to him the establishment. It's a it's a great learning curve. It's a great aspirational video to watch and say it's to tell you that you know a no is just a yes waiting to happen at some point. Yeah. In so that was that one, uh, 92,000. That's the lessons I've learned off of that. It, it taught me a real valuable lesson. Uh, next one for me is uh, land. Who would have bought land? I had no intention of ever buying land, but this land came up for grabs, and I thought, yeah. okay, it's got planning permission on it, or it's lapped on planning permission. So what happened was, in the 1990s, the land had had actually planning permission for seven houses. So four of these houses actually been built, and then the crash came along, or the market dropped in the 1990s, in the mid-1990s, 92 probably, and the people that actually had the land stopped, and there was basically three plots there sitting, and they'd done nothing since then, and they'd overgrown to this big jungle, so nobody knew what was going on with it, but they put it on the market, and at that time, they put it on the market, and they put it on, I can't mind, they put it on just the offers. And I subsequently, what I did was I then, I did a wee bit of homework. I thought, I could I could get into new builds. I can get yeah. into new builds. This is October 2005. Market's picking up. You can see new builds selling very, very well. There's loads of house builders out there. I'm going to do three new builds maybe. Now, Mark Taylor was my contractor at the time. And Mark says, yeah, you could do that, no bother. So the planning was, I found out, that the planning was still in place. So it hadn't lapsed. It hadn't lapsed. The people selling it said it had lapsed. But the planning is in place as long as you put a brick down. So if you put a brick or a foundation down on planning, once you get the planning, the planning has now started. It has been accepted. Therefore, yeah. the planning is still in place, even if you don't do anything for the next 40 years. The planning is still approved and it's in place. And you can continue to build. What the thing that is not in place is the building one, because standards change for building. Yeah. So the planning is still approved, so it's still in place. So I've, I'm, I'm buying this. So they didn't know the planning was in place. So I got it for a song, okay, at that time for three plots, for three plots for three bedroom detached properties. That's what was on there with the same style it was on before. Yeah. I thought, God's sake, they're going to go for 155 each, definitely. So I bought the three plots. Then I subsequently found out they were serviced. <laughs> <laughs> they had the grass and electricity and the water and sewage already in place because they'd done it with the other four before. Oh, so it was already they forgot there. they'd serviced them. They forgot they'd put the services in place. They were all still sitting there, but they were buried under all the all the jungle that was there. Yeah. So I didn't need to service the plots either. All the services were there already. Which, which is a big expense if you would have to do that, yeah. So I literally just paid. I bought it for 70, right, or 75. I paid literally about 10 grand to get the building warrant over, and I changed the style of the property. So I changed the planning as well to the style from um, Thomas Mitchell did at Veteran Avail. Mm -hmm. So I changed them to these style, the Newland styles. But what I did with the Newland style is I adapted it and I took away the, the single garage, the three bedroom, and I made it a fourth bedroom because it was right. fitting on that plot. 
I tried to buy the bit at the back by the council, by the way. A wee strip of land at the back, it would have given me four bedrooms on each of them, big, bigger houses, and the council wanted £20,000 for that, wee, a wee tiny strip. And I just told them to do one. They've still got yeah. that strip today. they never got yeah. any. I just, so, uh... But I paid for that planning permission to get that. So all in, I was 89000 almost 90000 and subsequently, a year later, I did nothing to it and sold it for 155. Yeah, just the just the plot as it was near more or less. So the building one and the plan. Obviously, with the yeah, the change, the change of, of of property is going to go on that. I sold it for 155,000. A year later, I flipped it mm-hmm. for 65,000 more. More, just like that. Saw an opportunity, took advantage of it. Flipped it. It was in a limited company. I was able to reinvest it back in the buy to let. I was never a new builder, but I knew there was money to be made and actually just getting the planning on it and getting across the line. And then, because literally yeah. every single plot at that time when I bought it for about 90 grand was 30 grand. 30 grand for a plot, service plot for a three bed, a four bedroom house on it. 30 grand. That's why it was easy to flip it because then plots at that time were going for 60. Yeah. So 155 was easy. I knew that. I knew my homework. And I did my homework and I knew what I needed to do. So, again, that's all about doing your homework and making sure that's in place. The final two for me, uh, just going on from there. See, I have 180 grain. Uh, just a quick one here. Uh, Can't skip the avoided the house is gifted to you in seven years before you go into care. Oh, you need to speak to a lawyer on that. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll answer I'll answer TikTok questions after this. I'll come back to the TikTok questions because I don't want this embroil in the in the show because you might need to get going, Richard. So I will come back to TikTok because you're asking these questions. There's questions on here as well, and there's questions on Instagram. Um, I'll be able to answer these, but I'm going to stay live on TikTok especially. I'll probably stay live on Instagram as well at the same time. Um, but we will um, end, the st- end the show on here in a wee minute. Um, okay, so we're coming to the end of this um, and my journey. Um, November, uh, actually November 2005, actually August 2008, uh, no, November 2005 was uh, my last one. Um, it was basically a, a one-bedroom flat. Um, I realised I bought it for I bought it for 30000 mm-hmm. One-bedroom flat, lower flat, and this was at the time where you were able to take the front away again. You were yeah. able to take the, the, you know, the hall was going in, so yeah, the bedroom was big enough, you could actually take part of the bedroom and the double bedroom, and you can create a single bedroom. So a double bedroom and a single bedroom at the front, same model as every other property. You know the type, Richard. Yeah. You've got the living room off the back, you've got the kitchen off the living room, you've got the you've got the um you've got the bathroom straight ahead. Bathrooms on off the hall, off the living room into the hall, which goes straight ahead. So I was able to do that. So I did some adaptations um and I and I adapted that. And this was one I actually never rented. I actually just flipped it. I bought it in November 2005. I spent 48 grand on it all in. I just flipped it for 60 grand. The offer was there at the time. It made sense. Yeah. Um, uh, less than a year later. So I made a quick 10 grand on it. Again, capital gains absorbed that up. So it was capital gains free, no tax. So 10 grand straight in the pocket just for flipping a property. I had no involvement, yeah. really. All the contractors did all the work. Now at that yeah, time, but then it's more common. 10 grand, to 10 grand represents 20% of the value. So I made 20% on the, the amount I put in. Um and at that time as well, again, I was able to buy for cash because I'd actually been selling property and actually um, um, making money, um, especially with the land. 
um, and yep. stuff like that. So I was able to reinvest that and keep all that going. So I was able to flip that. So if you're going to do flips, unless you've unless you uh, if you've got the money, then you probably invest all your own money. You don't invest anybody else's money because you're paying a lot of costs and charges to do that, especially bridging loans. So you do it yourself and flip it yourself, uh, or you just remortgage it and refinance it, get all the money back out, rent it, and do the same again, and and keep recycling your cash the same time. Um, that was the one where actually when I had it up for sale, because <laughs> I was actually selling it through my own agency at the time. It was Gordon that was selling it. And the next door neighbor, again, this is the life of an estate agent and a letting agent. This is what happens. This is a real awkward situation. The guy next door is a, was off his head. He really was. I think he was out of a psychiatric ward under care, um, and he was in the community. And I was showing somebody around the property to actually let them buy it. And this guy was walking back and forward, and he's—I mean, it was an opaque window at his um, at his back door, but literally he was walking back and forward naked. So you could see him through the opaque window. Yeah. Now, once that was all over, I approached him and said to him, "Look, you know, I know I just knocked on his door casually, and you know, he, he had his robe on or something at that time. And at that time, I actually said to him, "Look, you know." Um, I'm just doing viewings next door. And I was really polite about it. I'm just doing viewings next door. Um, is, there, is there any chance I know you're walking back and forward and you were completely starkers? Making a, a joke about it. And it's like, like, we actually saw that. So is there any chance maybe, you know, maybe next time if you hear us next door, um, any chance? And he immediately grabbed me by the balls and started squeezing and threatening me. Mm -hmm. Literally, honestly. And I was gobsmacked. Um, this is what happens. So assault straight away. But this yeah. guy is off his head. We know that he's off his head because he's got drunk plenty other times. I know that. And he's actually had a fight and assaulted other people. Um, one of my tenants, actually, before, Brian, who's no longer with us. Yeah. Because um, they all got into this drinking den. So he was a huge drinker as well. And really, <clears throat> it was obviously clouding his judgment. So he gets me by the balls and basically squeezing. And I'm like, how the hell did I get this guy off without actually without actually basically assaulting them. Um, so diplomatically, Gordon was there, luckily, and we were able to smooth it over. Um, but these are times, and this is a lesson I've really learned from my father. My father ran his business all his life, and he still does today. And he was he was more or less self-employed when he came out of Balfour as an electrical engineer, now the Remy and the Army. And he ran his window cleaning business all his life. Now I remember my I remember somebody hit me one day when I was a wee wee boy, and my father was in the chip shop. I'm actually best friends with this person now, actually. <laughs> Believe it or no, <laughs> these things happen. It's just youth, eh? Um, but he hit me at the time because he was he was, they were they were they were it was jealousy more than likely because we were in my brother's car, and at that time he had a classic mini. And it was a, it was he had resprayed it electric blue tinted windows and everything, and it really looked apart. And this guy was really jealous. Now, when I'm sitting in the car as a teenager, um, and I was only really I was probably about 15, 16, um, or maybe actually younger. Ah, oh, it must have been 15, 16, because Dave was driving, so it was 17. I was maybe 15. So this guy's spitting and throwing chips on the car, and I just got out of the car and goes, Look, you didn't need to do that. And then he came over and says, what do you mean I didn't need to do that? And then just lamped one of my face, okay? I go into the chip shop to my father and say, he's just hit me in the face. My dad goes out and basically grabs him by the arms 
and picks him up and goes, <laughs> and and that's it. And he scarpers. And there's no doubt about it. He's probably got two bruised arms because my father was, you know, no taking any shite. But my father turned around to me when in the car and said something very profound, which sticks with me today. Uh, when I said, you know, I was more or less, uh, maybe for one, I was maybe more or less, um, how can I say, I was more or less saying to him, why did you know hit him back? Because you're bigger than him. You would have been able to pace him. Uh, you know, subconsciously, I never really said that to him. But I remember father turning around to me and saying to me, could you imagine the newspapers tomorrow? A respected leaving businessman hits a young boy and assaults him. Who do you think is going to be worse off out of that? Yeah. Is it going to be the young boy? Or is it going to be my business and your future? I got it straight away. Mm -hmm. And that story has stuck with me, stuck with me for the rest of my life. And that stuck with me exactly on this as well, exactly on that one. I'm pointing to it, man. It's like a long time one back to try and confuse my, that uh, situation. Book, actually, most people, I mean, Instagram can see I'm looking at my book. Um, that, that story stuck with me all my life, and I still remember it today. And I've possibly even relayed that to you at some point in time. And I teach my children that one as well. It's like, you know, you've got kids playing about and they're throwing stuff and all the rest of it. It's like, and they're going, oh, they're doing this and they're doing that. Well, and my response to that is, what do you want me to do? Go out and beat seven different colours out of them. Because I tell you what, I'll be the one that's going to be in jail. No, the wee kid. <laughs> and then my kids have learned that lesson as well. It's like, you know, you've got, you've got, you've got everything to lose. They've got nothing to lose out of doing that. Yeah. So that's one of the profound lessons I've learned off of that one. And as I said, you know, I flipped it and I got another 10 grand, I reinvested it back in the business. Yeah. Um, and 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 that's my that's kind of my journey for where I did my first million. You can yeah. see that how all that works and how all that um, interest and value astronomically over yeah. the years, Richard. It is. It's really interesting to see how it all compounds up over the years. And I think each individual property how you learn an, a, something from each different journey with each property and how that brought you the, to the point where you are in the story now and then you implementing that into becoming an agent and then building yourself up with that re and extending your reputation through yeah. being an agent yeah. then as well following See on. See how intense I am into the housing market. Yeah. How since the middle of the 90s, the 90s, I was instrumental with the Fife Council, I was instrumental running the Landlord Association, I was instrumental in the buy Everybody yeah. knew me who was wanting to get involved in buy to let, and while they wanted to know all my secrets, I was never going. To, I did use. I did sit down with people, and I should. I, to be honest, I should have kept my mouth shut. That's another story you should learn. Keep your mouth shut because some, a lot of the deals that I could have got, they actually bought because I was keeping going on about it. And this yeah. rising tide with all shit, we're all in it with each other. As no one, no really. <laughs> it's like you have to look after yourself to a degree if you can't get the deal then you know, tell somebody else about the deal that's it really if you can't if you're not doing any more deal i mean you've got it the now i'm doing deals the now richard um i'm doing a big deal the now and i've yeah. got no desire to buy small deals and we're actually all the small deals that i'm getting referred to me i'm actually passing to you for yeah, I'm passing and yeah and and that's us you know that's what i'll do because it's business that comes to me all the time, purely for the fact of what I've done, what I've done for the last 30 years. It, 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 you attract everything. 
So I've got a reputation now as a as a great investor, a, a, the almost the guru of buy to let. Um, yeah. Hence the reason why my handle on uh, um, um, Facebook is actually Letting's guru, um, yeah. for that very reason. So I'm very, I'm very, um, I'm held in a high position in terms of politically as well because we're dealing with the Scottish government and with the National Land Association, and also yeah. alongside Sal, which is John Blackwood and Stephen Peasnell, who was there at the time as well as the beginning of Sal. Um, so we all banded together and formed um, our landlord associations to basically um, have some sort of clout uh, with the Scottish government. And you see what's happening today because all the carry-on is going now. Yeah. So uh, the Scottish Association of Landlords has, has recorded a record amount of landlords actually joining, which I actually congratulate and thank, yeah. thank God for that. If you're a private landlord, you need to join the Scottish Association of Landlords because we need a union effectively to protect from, from yeah. these people. From these yeah. politicians that have no idea how to run anything in terms of housing and, and what's going on. They have no idea on a macroeconomic level, on the bigger picture level, what is actually happening with the property market. They yeah. just think of minutia and think about, oh, if I change this, um, I could actually get more votes. Because more people will vote for me. Because that's where we are. And even yeah. even you've got even their own MSPs are questioning them. Um, one of their MSPs or two of their MSPs are actually landlords. And when the four to six percent duty um, ADS was changed and it was actually ra raised by the Scottish government, they actually stood up in Parliament and said, "What consultation have you actually done to prove the fact that if you increase four, uh, ADS from four percent to six percent, they actually first-time buyers will get more houses? What actual what?" What modelling have you done to prove that prove that 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 point that you're saying? Uh, what, what research and what kind of testing? Have you... What? Yeah, they've done nothing. They actually admitted it. They've done nothing. They thought that would be a great idea to get people first first time buyers to get houses. Let's move it from four to six. No, what you thought was if we move it from four to six, we'll get an extra thirty four million pounds in tax from private landlords' pockets or investors' pockets to our pockets. That's what they were thinking. They weren't yeah. thinking about the benefit for first-time buyers. They were thinking about why much more tax can they get to their coffers. That's how they all think. Don't be delusional to think that they're actually acting in the interest of the, of the people. They're acting in the interest of how they can get the most money out of that. That's what that's all about. So these are lessons I've learned over the years. The, uh, the other one as well I've got to talk about is, just before we finalise this, is my last day of work. I know I've talked about it. Yeah. I went on to sit my professional exams as an accountant. Now, I was a I was a professional accountant in industry and even a financial director, but I never went on to finish my professional exams and fully qualify an exam an exam process. So I was fully qualified in, in accountancy as in running manufacturing. And nobody's nobody realized this. I took a decision before my final exams that my future was never being a professional accountant. My future was in property investment, buy to let and run my own business. Yeah. So I took that decision and literally it said, I don't, I shouldn't be putting any more resources into this and any more time into this, especially, this is the time thing, especially if I could earn X amount of pounds per hour doing buy to let or I could earn X amount of pounds per hour being a qualified accountant. But being a qualified accountant wouldn't have get me any further. It would have got me to PLC. It would have allowed me to be a PLC financial director. But I had, remember, I had written that off. I got offered that. 
mm-hmm. some point in my journey, what we talked about before, and I thought that is not the path I need to take. I know where my future lies. I was adamant that's where my future lies. So I remember distinctly when I was sitting my financial accounts and my final exams, instead of actually doing the exam, I wrote an eight-page essay of my last day at work and what that would be like in full detail. And who would be at my last day at work, what I would do, what I'd be saying, who would turn up, the limo would turn up to get me, to come and get me, all these different things, my last day at work. This was what I did. I I chose to do that. Now, somewhere out there in the ether, in the exam papers for the professional accountants, will be this eight-page essay from somebody that's now a multimillionaire. <laughs> at that time, do you want to be a professional accountant? And I wanted to be a professional accountant more for my mother than I did for myself. Does that resonate with anybody? Because <laughs> I wanted to please my mother. Because I wanted my mother's love. And that's what I thought love was. You please someone else, they'll love you. That's called conditional love. That's yes. not healthy for a relationship. But I it took me a lot of years because that's how I was conditioned as a child. We talked about this in the yeah, very the start, yeah. But I chose to then say, right, it took me a lot of years to get over this mentally, to actually make that decision and say, no, I am not going to be an accountant. I'm not going to be a professional accountant, as in ECCA or whatever it is. I I know I can pass it, I can coast it, but that is not where my money. I sat down with my financial director at Tillis Russell, actually, to Chris Parr and said, Chris, why would I want to continue with my exams? Because it was him I consulted. And over the next year, to get a job, get an upgrade in a job, which will give me an extra 10,000 to 15,000 pound a year, if I believe in my heart in the next two years, I could make £200,000 a year. Yeah. Why would I do that? And Chris went, fair Jews, I can't argue with that. But if you have to make sure you'll be able to do that, then. And I said, I do believe I can do that. I do believe that that's what I can do. And when I left Macintosh, which was my last job, I was earning six times, at top line, earning six times what my salary was. At top line, that's money yeah. coming in and rents. Yeah. Obviously, you've got your overheads, you've got the interest and all the rest of it. But I was earning six times coming in. Could you imagine that? Yeah. That's crazy. And I and literally, that's only one and a half days work a week. One and a half days work a week, and I was working literally 160 hours a week at Macintosh as a financial as a as a financial controller and actually a credit controller as well. I was giving them everything. I would, I, I've always done that in my career. I've always given everything to my career. I love what I do. Don't get me wrong. But I always loved the idea of being free. I always loved the idea of having my time to choose what I want to put it in. I always loved the idea of having the money to do what I want to want to do when I want to do it. And also the money to give to a person who really needs it more than me at that point in time. Yeah, that's why you do see me jumping on now and again randomly to when people are actually trying to raise money for funds for things and saying that's me top you up to the, the, the maximum, that's me got you your target. Yeah, so I, I sneakily do that. I wait till it gets to about a thousand before the target's reached, and I go, Right, there's a thousand. That's what that's I love doing that. Yeah, I just love doing do that. that. Time, I get more enjoyment out of that. It's pretty selfish <laughs> giving money away, <laughs> but I get more enjoyment out of that than the money itself. 
Yeah. It, it, and they'll get great enjoyment in it because it does great things for them. Now, recently, um, there was one I was keeping an eye on, but it went way beyond the limit anyway that they were trying to achieve. So I didn't uh -huh. see the point of me contributing to that. There's no point because they've got their limit. That's fine. It's when it's it's things that really need to get over the line and what I do will make a fundamental difference to people's future, especially when it comes to things like the food banks um, the the projects for the local community, the yeah. projects that will actually engage the local community and engage the youth. They were just, it's going to go live today. Our first contribution for this year, I think it'll go live at three o'clock, was for the aquatics, Fife Aquatics Group. And yeah. we're giving them a thousand pound. Now, that is in conjunction with Fife Leisure Trust, um, the uh, East Fife Sports Council, um, the um, the Active Sports Council, uh, the Cooper and Bell Baxter High School. So we've given them a thousand pounds and that's allowed them to put the aquatics program into place. For me, that is everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good thing as well. Sorry. <laughs> for a moment, because I'm gonna get emotional about this. <laughs> Genuinely, I'm welling up a bit. Yeah. But then for me, that is everything to do yeah. that. To be able to do that for someone else and to have the money to do that for someone else, for me is everything. Uh, that's the only reason. I only ever wanted time to. My only ever wanted to buy my time back and have my time, and I only ever wanted to be able to give to someone else. It needed it more than me to now, give back and, and do the community and things. Yeah, that's it. It's it's community. You can't help everybody, but you can you can you can help some of the ones that really need that help. That's really what it comes down to. So for me, that was the most important thing. Good. So what we're going to talk about next week? How to lose a million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here we go. I tell you what, your failures are more than anything. Mm. And the, the next journey for me next week, we're going to start on part one is how to lose a million. Okay. And I'm going to tell you about that journey. Um it's go, it's going to be difficult for me because I've I've never admitted this to anybody. Nobody ever everybody ever thought everybody used to look at me after this and think, wow, you're so successful all the time. But they what they didn't realize that I was going through torment every single day because I had lost so much. I and I had been locked into I'd locked into contracts that I could I couldn't get out. And I was I was a I had to do and, and I was literally a slave. I felt like I was like Prince or Michael Jackson with a locked in the record contracts. Mm -hmm. I had I had no way out. I and 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 I really mean what if, what what is the desperate I will touch about that. I will talk about this now. Uh, this is what we'll maybe we will touch on it in the show, and it is very, very, very personal to me. Um, when I say I had no way out, you know there is only one way out. Yeah. At that point in time, when you have no way out, and that is literally what I contemplated. Um, and that is that's the next journey we're going to talk about next week. How okay. how, how you lose a million? Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's us then. Right. You okay. Well, that was, yeah, that was really good, Jim. Um, it's really good to hear about your journey through um, up to the million and, and, and obviously your personal goals and things throughout that and your experiences. The next part, obviously, is going to be quite a bit of a roller coaster story. So everybody tune in uh, for the start of that next Monday, 1230. Yeah, um, I'll and, and, uh, I'll just say you've got to say that, but until but there is bye, -bye, for, bye, -bye for Facebook just now. <laughs>